Hello, Malcolm here, and welcome to this first teaching class in the series on the book of 1 Thessalonians. This is for the Watford and Thames Valley Churches of Christ at the beginning of 2023, as we focus on this really special letter to this really special church. You might ask, why focus on the church in Thessalonica? Well, let me ask you a question. How many churches in the New Testament are called a model church? A church that's a model to other believers. In chapter 1 of Thessalonians, First Thessalonians and uh, verse 8, verse 7 rather, you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, northern and southern Greece. All the believers, a huge geographical area for a church that had been established only about a year before this letter, and by Paul, Silas, and Timothy, who were there, according to Acts chapter 17, for three Sabbath days. So they were there for about three weeks, converted a bunch of people, a few Jewish people from the synagogue, otherwise mostly Gentile people, because in verse uh, 9 it says that they turned to God from idols. So that would be the Gentiles. The Jews Jews would have turned to the Messiah uh, but not away from idols as such. So this is a largely Gentile church with very little understanding of the Old Testament, with no New Testament writings, no leaders who have mature understanding of what Christianity is all about because Paul, Silas, and Timothy have had to leave. According to uh, chapter uh, 17 in Acts, they were sent away by the church because of the riot and the mobs and everything else that was going on. And yet, one year later, Paul can say, you are modeling Christianity. You're modeling what it means to be a community of faith to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, that's not a good reason to study this church. I I don't know what is. So I'm really enjoying looking into this amazing book, and I encourage you to do the same. So today, I'm going to give you a bit of background to the letter of First Thessalonians and the church in Thessalonica. And in subsequent classes, we'll talk a bit more about the content of the letter. But today, let's explore the background to this model church. Now, the main thing to do if you want to understand this church before diving into First Thessalonians is to read the account of its founding in Acts chapter 17. In fact, you'll do well to read chapter 16 as well as 17 and chapter 18 to get a feel for what's happening in Paul's life and Silas and Timothy as they travel on this missionary journey and they go from Philippi to Thessalonica. They're uh, meeting there in the synagogue as Paul usually did. He went into the synagogue. There wasn't one, of course, in Philippi, but there isn't in, in Thessalonica. And he reasons there for three Sabbath days talking about the Messiah, how he had to suffer and rise from the dead, and proclaiming the Messiah. And some Jews were persuaded, clearly not the majority, but some, and uh, a number of God-fearing Greeks, so those were Gentiles attached to the synagogue. And it says, quite a few prominent women. Interesting as to why that's mentioned. Presumably these were well-known people in the city. Thessalonica was a large city, prominent place, very important for business. So perhaps they were businesswomen. We don't know. But they face some opposition very early on. Some Jews are jealous. They round up bad characters from the marketplace. So uh, rent a mob. They form a mob and start a riot 
in the city. Now, if you know anything about Roman Empire, you know riots are a big no-no. You can get ser into serious trouble if you allow a riot. They find Jason. They think Paul's there. He's not. They drag Jason out to the crowd in front of the city officials. They've caused trouble elsewhere. Now the call is causing trouble here, defying Caesar's decrees, questioning Caesar as king. The crowd, the city officials are thrown into turmoil. They made Jason and the others post bond, let them go. As soon as it was night, this is verse 10, the believers sent Paul and Silas away. That's not quite the end of the story because in Berea, where they go next, we find that after they've uh, started the church there, it says some Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, so they heard about it. Some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. So it seems that the Jewish community in Thessalonica was a particularly uh, fervent one, shall we say, uh, perhaps uh, more than most, to travel down to Berea to cause trouble there as well as in Thessalonica. So this is some of the background, and I think this helps us to understand what Paul's writing about in First Thessalonians, when he mentions severe suffering. In the midst of severe suffering, they welcomed the message. This is verse 6 of chapter 1. And they welcomed it with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. There's so much to admire about this church. And I hope you find things for you to admire and learn from. If this is a model church, then we would do well to model ourselves after it, wouldn't we? Personally, but also as congregations. Uh, as a whole congregation or as a family group, a location, whatever your grouping is, how what could you learn from this church to implement uh, in your relationship with God, your relationships with one another and our impact on this world? What could we learn that we could then be a model to others? Not that we're trying to be a model in the sense of, look at me, aren't I great? But wouldn't it be wonderful if God thought you and I in our congregations we could be model congregations to other believers. That'd be a good place to be, whether or not that actually ends up happening. So let's talk a bit more background here. And uh, in the handout that I'm giving out on Sunday, the 8th, as well as I've sent around as a PDF, you'll see some maps and timelines and things. So uh, refer to that if you like as well. So Thessalonica is modern day Thessaloniki or Salonica. It's about... 200 miles north of Athens. At the time that we're talking about, it was the capital of Macedonia, so a very important city, the largest city in that region. It was strategically located on the Via Ignatia, or Ignatia, and that's the great Roman highway going west-east into Asia Minor and beyond. So an important trade route uh, and, and uh, probably quite a wealthy city at its time. The letter of 1 Thessalonians was written in the early 50s. Um, it's Paul's second letter, most likely, after the letter to the Galatians. Most people think Galatians is the first letter, although there is a, um, a strong uh, case to be made even for 1 Thessalonians being the first of Paul's letters, maybe the second. But anyway, they're very early and written about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there are people alive who remember Jesus, what he taught, how he lived. We can trust these, uh, these letters because they were written so early. And when they, he talks here about waiting in chapter 1, verse 10, wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. 
he knew that people that uh, were alive could verify that, that he, they had seen the risen Christ who rescues us from the coming wrath. So that's what's going on there. And I've put something in the um, PDF about that. What do we know about the makeup of the church in Thessalonica? Well, we've got prominent Greek women, as mentioned. We've got some Jews, majority Gentiles, because they turned from idols to serve the living God in chapter 1. So mostly Gentiles, mostly pagan worshippers, in other words, mostly people who had no background at all in Judaism or the story of God in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, people who didn't have much understanding of what it meant that Jesus was Messiah, except for what Paul taught them. So Paul, in those three weeks or so, managed to convey enough for them to become disciples and understand what that meant, to live with Christ as their, uh, as their Lord and Master and Brother. The, uh, the church there also was probably not, though, although the city was wealthy, the church as a whole was probably not very wealthy, which fits with most of the congregations. However, some congregations get warnings about materialism, the church in Thessalonica doesn't. If you read through First and Second Thessalonians, no warnings about material materialism. And it may also explain why Paul is at pains in chapter 2 to remind them that he didn't depend on them. Perhaps there were people there outside the church who were accusing Paul of making money off the Thessalonians. You know, they're poor. You know, how could he be someone like this to exploit you? And Paul says, you do remember, chapter 2, verse 9, our toil and hardship, himself, Timothy, Silas, we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. So it seems that they probably weren't very wealthy. That's one of the reasons he took that approach. Other places, he took, took money. It wasn't wrong for him to do so, but in that place, he didn't, presumably for that very reason. Of course, in this letter, written about a year after Paul had last been there, uh, they are young Christians. So we need to bear that in mind too. Uh, the most, the eldest Christian amongst them is almost certainly no more than a year old. That's quite something, isn't it? That's quite something to reflect on. How did they main, remain so stable and vibrant with such little understanding of Christianity and such little experience? Something you'll see on the PDF is an outline and structure of the book. It's one of many. And one of the things I'd like to encourage us to do is to create your own structure of the book, your own outline. One of the ways to get deeper in our Bible study and understanding of what's going on, especially in a, in a letter, is to look for the, the gaps or, or the sections, I should say, to look for when he, Paul starts a point and ends a point, what is he doing? And I, I think that's fascinating, and I won't go into it right now, but you might like to look at the outline I've provided on the PDF and then create your own. I think you'll find, so you'll gain some extra insight by doing that. One other thing I'd like to mention today is not directly tied to 1 Thessalonians, but is attached to the church in Thessalonica, which is this. In Acts chapter 17, it mentions city officials or politarchs or politarches in the Greek. And it was thought that that was an anachronism. In other words, that Luke had put in the wrong word here because no reference to politarchs had been found until a little while ago, which I'll tell you about in a moment. And it was said that, look, there's an example of where Luke has just stuck something in that's not relevant or not accurate to the time. And that shows that he's not an accurate historian. Therefore, we can doubt this account and we can doubt, doubt all the things he wrote because he's a, an unreliable historian. Look, he's using a word that we've got no evidence for. There was no such thing as a polytarch in those days. We haven't found anything in any other literature or archaeology to back Luke up. So look at that. Luke is unreliable. 
However, in the 19th century, some people were digging away in Thessalonica, some people doing some archaeology, people were always digging around in these, in these places that still are today. And they found a first century arch, an arch built in the first century. It was called the Vardar Gate. It spanned the Ignatian Way we talked about earlier on the west side of the city. And an inscription was found on that arch. And it said, in the time of the Politarchs. Now, that's written around that time. That's built around that time that, Paul, that Luke is writing here, in the time of the Politarchs. That was the first time they found something like that. And since then... Uh, some 35 inscriptions have been discovered, some of them in Thessalonica, some elsewhere in the Roman world, from that same time using that word polytarch. So, look, lo and behold, Luke is accurate. Luke was writing something that was correct, and we can trust him. Luke is right again and again and again. Don't listen to people who say the Bible is inaccurate. Luke, just as a, a writer, and he writes a lot, of course, if you take the gospel and the book of Acts. So he's got lots of opportunities to be wrong, you could say. But he mentions in his writings 32 different countries, gets them all right. He mentions 54 different cities, gets them all right. He mentions nine islands, gets them all right. He doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make one. There are still some things that aren't clear, but based on his record, we can trust him for the things that aren't yet clear. And since we're dealing with history from 2,000 years ago, it's not surprising there are some things that are yet not clear. But all the things we know about, he's right about. And every time we find something new, it confirms what he's written about. And the things that aren't clear, like the Polytarch thing wasn't clear, now are clear. And it's surely going to be the case that more and more things back him up. There's no reason to doubt him. Luke was a historian of the highest caliber. We can trust what he wrote, including the account of what happened here in Acts 17 in Thessalonica. Uh, it, it is true that archaeology can't prove that Christianity is correct, and our faith doesn't depend on archaeology, but I find it very helpful to my faith to know that the authors of Scripture, like Luke, checked their facts thoroughly, wrote accurately, and I can trust what they have written. Well, that will do for today. I hope you find some of these thoughts helpful. On the handout, you'll find some other questions uh, for reflection and discussion. You can use uh, in a family group or a location discussing what does it mean that this church is a model? What does it look like? I had a very fruitful discussion with the men of the Watford Church about this uh, uh, two days ago. Really enjoyed that. What does it mean this church is a model? What does it mean for us to uh, model ourselves in some senses after them and, and perhaps be able to be a church that could be a model for others? What a wonderful opportunity we have to learn from the model church. Doesn't mean they got everything right and perfect. That's not the point. But there are some things they did that enabled the message to ring out to the whole region through them. And they were an inspiration to all. May we learn from them so that we can be an inspiration to others. Hope you find all this helpful. Do let me know if you have any questions, any thoughts about First Thessalonians, its content, its background. If you've got anything you'd like me to post on, I'll do my best to do that. There'll be another recording in a week's time where we'll dive in a bit more into the text of First Thessalonians. Until the next time, take care. God bless.